Yeah, it really depends on the situation, whether you know the people. You, mm -hmm. you wouldn't want to, like I heard somebody do a fabulous show the other night. He's a total professional. He sang some other time and there was one word that he, he sang wrong. And it really, it was, a, it was an important word in the song. Mm -hmm. And the show was so great. I, I didn't want to tell him at that moment you know, like mm -hmm. afterwards, because I didn't want to, you know, bring him down or anything, you know, so mm -hmm. I'll tell him later. And, you know, and if he changes it, he changes it. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. But that's not really a critique. But that's, <clears throat> you know, people are sensitive, right. you know. Right. Don't pee in my cornflakes. So. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I've never heard that. But yeah, <laughs> I agree. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, did you have something else? Uh, that's cool. Oh, I was just going to say a little bit about traveling and singing, you know? Oh, that's great. Yeah, please do. So traveling and singing is another big area of focus that you have to, you have to really pay attention to if you're going to do it. <clears throat> it really needs research, um, communication. Calling is always best way to start in, in this day and age. It's hard yeah. to remember that, but really it is. And then the follow-up is crucial. And then a lot of times you, on a tour, even if it's a small tour, you have to start somewhere and then build around it. And I think it's easy to get overwhelmed by just the thought that you're going to tour up the coast or tour in Italy or, you know. Um, but just getting the first gig is always the place to start. Um, mm -hmm. I, um, now I've been going to Japan since I, I don't know, I think it was the mid eighties, maybe. Mm -hmm. uh, at that time, it was really big to go to the Playboy clubs for three months. So I did that. I did two, two Playboy clubs and um, um, I met people there and then I didn't go back for a long time. And a friend of mine offered me a, a duo gig to bring a piano player to Japan, I said, yes, it was good money and it was, you know, jazz and everything. From that gig, I met people who started bringing me over. And um, in Japan, they're very loyal to, to relationships. So mm -hmm. I've, been, I've been going there ever since. And oh gosh, when I first started going there, after, you know, after that, that point I mentioned, I was going three times a year. Wow. <clears throat> now I, I go once a year, but I go for three weeks because I go to different cities. And I, my friends there uh, help me. They book me gigs, workshops, and private lessons. So that's great. Yeah, that, that's really great. But you can, you can really do anywhere, you know, national, international, but it is something that you have to focus on. Right. Um... And so what do you have in place before you try uh, getting a gig like in Japan or in Europe? What do I need to have together? It depends on the gig, of course, that you want to get, right? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there are some like hotel gigs in Asia, for instance, that you can go um, and do cover songs. So all, all you would really need is <clears throat> probably a, a little bit, a little video. Um, so <clears throat> Japan is kind of unusual because I feel like you have to have a 
connection there um, and somebody who knows your work and mm -hmm. then you can you can start creating that um, and <clears throat> to get a connection I mean you might if, if you're dying to go to Japan you could just go to Japan pay for a trip to Japan and go sit in and meet people and you know mm -hmm. and then have some place and some people to come back and work with you know mm -hmm. um, and that's the same everywhere of course but <clears throat> I mean if you want a real artistic type of gig in a big room you're, you're gonna have to be prepared with um, all the doingness and the projects that you have to show you know show that you have what it takes to deliver a good product you know and for them to make arrangements and or pay for you in the old days you know <clears throat> some sometimes they'd pay for you to fly over but they don't really do that too much unless you're really big um having having recordings is nice but it's not the guarantee of work it's just nice because but again like i have 13 recordings you know that's i don't just call up and go well i have 13 recordings you want to book me no that's not the only thing that you have to do there's a lot more to it you know you I, I, like you say i have a website i'm mm -hmm. out there on social media i am working i have a lot of stuff on youtube um yeah you know <clears throat> so there's things to back it up but i still have to call and follow through and follow up i still have to do those things unless i have a manager doing it or an agent which is very rare a lot of this you you you're, you probably have to do yourself you know that is the uh standard these days you you're wearing all the hats yeah yeah <laughs> very uh, true yeah so i would say so i would imagine i mean probably aside from having the goods of course is um especially for a place like japan it sounds like a um having some relationships either prior to getting there or just kind of taking a chance and going and spending some time there and getting to know people and, and let them hear you and and all of that yeah and you know let's face it it's it's the same even here if if you were and i've seen this over and over again if you move here to la you're not going to get work immediately most likely unless that's your major focus and you and you're good at that normally when people come here it takes about a year for them to make friends and have experiences and then work starts happening have you seen yeah. that yeah that sounds about right mm -hmm. so it's really about relationships and everything's about relationships really i mean i was just talking about uh, with this last woman who is here for a workshop uh, delivering a workshop uh, this woman kathy cousins from Des detroit she's she has been her own manager and booker for 40 years wow and um and she was saying like her father was a clothier in detroit and one thing he said was if you can't get in the front door go around the back <laughs> and he also said it's all about relationships sales is not about selling the item right so <clears throat> you know if you just take that to the limit it's really about relationships you know you make a relationship with somebody 
and what are they doing? Oh, they're doing something that's cool. That's could be related to what you're doing. Maybe we could do a project together or they think of you because you have this ongoing relationship, you know? Yeah. Especially in this town, there's so many of us, right? Out there yeah. doing it. You know, when am I going to think of Joe Schmo if he's not in, if I don't see him every few weeks or every, every two months or something, which, you know, I mean, I have, a, I have seriously, and you probably do too. I have thousands of friends, literally. I, I look through my Facebook. I know thousands of these people. And, but I, you know, maybe I haven't talked to somebody in 20 years or, you know, so why right. would I be involved with them and do something if, unless something comes up and I remember who they are or, <laughs> you know, or comes across my desk somehow. Yeah. So it's, it's I, really nobody's fault if you're not working. It's just, you have to really reach out. You have to do, you have to do that. Yeah. No, I would say the people that I, I notice who really um, work the most and like get all those great gigs are out all the time and they're pretty social. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of, that's kind of it. Then they, of course they've got, they've got the goods and yeah. Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they don't. I mean, right. sometimes you're just like, you're like a really fun hang and, and people will bring you on because of that. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true too. Yeah. We used to, we used to have a saying, you know, along the way we said, the gig has to either pay a lot or be really fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But if you're a drag, nobody's calling you. <laughs> no, that is so true. I do want to talk a little bit about your you being um, a record producer and, and how that um, evolved for you and, and a little bit about some of the artists you've worked with and just kind of your process yeah. there. I think it started with... Um, and it still is actually to some extent, most to most extent. Uh, it's friends, students, um, mm -hmm. people. Um, well, like for instance, this year and right now, <clears throat> let's see, I'm producing a student, another student, a mm -hmm. peer, and um, a woman who is a, uh, I'm co-producing a record um, I'll tell you about her because it's kind of exciting, actually. Um, her name is Catherine Bostick. She's a film composer, and mm. she's, she's had a, a really interesting career. Earlier on, she was a singer. She sang jazz. She played piano. She toured around the world. Then she sang background with lots of big-name big people. Um, mm. <clears throat> then she started getting into film composing, and she mm. just this year... Uh, are you familiar with the Toni Morrison documentary by any chance? Um, no, I don't think I've heard about a documentary. Yeah, so Toni apparently died in August. And um, oh, no. so they, they put out a documentary and it's really wonderful. I think it's called The Pieces I Am. Okay. And <clears throat> Catherine wrote all the music. She sang, sang and composed the last song out, you know, on the credits. Mm -hmm. She's really an interesting songwriter and singer. She's um, <clears throat> it's kind of Americana, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, smart Americana. It's really beautiful. And um, like she has a really beautiful, I'll have to share a link with you. She has a, a song called State of Grace. 
that's, that you can find on YouTube, which is mm. just her playing piano and some violin stuff in the background. And it's really, you get a really good idea of what she does. She's only done one record before, and it was like 10 years ago. And <clears throat> now that was, what happened with there, that was, I had known her, she came to my original jam session, but I hadn't seen her in many years. Then I saw her <clears throat> at Catalina's because she had written a song and done some arrangements for a singer that I was watching. And we kind of got reacquainted and I, I said, we ought to have some, a coffee sometime, you know, cause I liked her. And we, so I, uh, we made that happen. And um, I said, in the coffee session, I said, so what is it, what is it you really want to do? She said, well, you know, I really, really want to make another record because I feel like my songs really need to be out in the world right now. I, I feel like the world needs material like this to listen to. So I said, oh, okay. And then interestingly enough, <clears throat> a man I'm, I've been working with who has um, some money for these projects, um, he had, had given me her earlier record. And so I thought, okay. So I, I talked to him and I said, what do you think about uh, producing a record for her? And he said, yeah, I'd like to do that. So I, <laughs> I called her and she, she was absolutely and totally stunned. Mm. He was not shopping for that. She just was answering my question. What does she really want to do? She had no idea that I would go and do that, you know, go and, and create this, you know, <laughs> this wow. happening. And so we started getting into it. And um, so this year, that's been one of the projects that's been really exciting. That probably will come out in a few months. And it's sounding just incredible. Um, and then <clears throat> I finished, I finished one of my students projects, Maita Dinos, who really, it's a really beautiful project. It was co-produced and arranged by Dory Amarillo, um, mm -hmm. who's a great guitar player and arranger, and he has mm -hmm. a studio. And that just turned out to be a beautiful project. That's, that'll be coming out in the next few months. Um, it's, in, it's in manufacturing right now. And then another student of mine, originally from New Orleans, um, he wanted to make a recording. And uh, as the years went on that he was my student, it just, uh, you know, I would help him with a lot of different things. And so he's, he asked me to do that. So I did that. And then another friend of mine, Mon David, um, he did a duo record with Josh Nelson, which is, oh God, it's just a gorgeous record. And, um, and he needed, um, he was he had recorded all of it and uh i wanted to help him move it along so um i got an investor to do um to do the uh mastering and manufacturing so um you know there, these different projects come about in different ways people people call me a lot to talk about their projects or do their desire to pro do a project I've also started projects and not finished them because the project might change in the middle and, you know, yeah. I might just not, not be the right producer at that point, you know? Um, mm. And I've turned over projects to other producers gladly, you know? I mean, it's all really what's good for the person and the project, you know? 
I, I had thought about uh, somebody I'd worked with at one point point a couple of years ago um i was just kind of demoing a bunch of songs that i'd written yeah and i was thinking about it today and i was just like uh the, the experience i'd had with this person was and we only did one song together and here's why because um you know when i had um diplomatically brought up <laughs> <laughs> One thing, you know, when you're working together, and I've done a lot of collaborating, so this was really the only time I'd had this experience. Uh -huh. um, I brought up just like one thing I didn't really care for. Could we try something else there? It was like uh, Stonewall, and I, I, I got no response really. Uh -huh. And I, I was getting the, um, and I tried bringing it up again, and I got no response. And then I, you know, then I thought, okay, I'm just gonna wrap this up, and and uh, you know. We're gonna, I'm just going to move on. I'm not going to argue. I don't really know, you know. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know, like, what the childhood was like that produced all of this, but, <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> we like, talk back and forth and, and all that. All that to say, you know, um, I, um, I just, I appreciate that sort of um, humility, you know, to say, you know what, maybe I'm not the right person for this, or to be able to have you know, uh, an exchange of ideas. I think so much of music is just, um, is like collaborative. And, yeah. you know, a lot of it's not happening unless you collaborate with somebody, you know, unless you're Prince and you can do everything all, you know, <laughs> all by yourself. Yeah. And all of that. But um, anyway, that's neither here nor there. But well, that you know, I, I have to say that, okay, so this one uh, project mm -hmm. that I did. Uh, yeah. I started with this with a person who had been my student, and um, it was her first project. And uh, we had arrangements done. She she and I both picked the musicians and uh, brought it into the studio. And <clears throat> as as time went on, uh, she she was changing her mind about so the songs, how they were sounding, and you know, um, she you know she was not totally 100% satisfied. I actually thought it was a really nice first project, you know? Yeah. Um, and I'm a good judge of quality, you know? So I didn't really have any doubts in that. Um, anyway, about probably about a year passed and I just felt like the questions she was asking or the desire she had was really not um, what I did the best. So I brought it over to somebody to do the arrangements and, you know, mm -hmm. maybe co-produce. And um, anyway, that there was a period of time that happened that was really awkward. It was, mm -hmm. um, I think she started, I'm not sure what happened. I think she started in her mind deciding that I hadn't done the right thing with her in the year or you know mm. anyway it it turned out that she got very upset with me and mm. um she she actually said that she felt like she i had betrayed her oh, <laughs> so now i didn't feel that way uh you know so i felt like i was doing all the right things and then at some point she needed more so i took her somewhere else you know, so that it could be further expanded and helped, right? Yeah. So I didn't, I didn't really, I didn't say, uh, no, no, we have to do this. No, you're wrong. You know, I didn't, 
do anything like that. So that ended up, I ended up stepping out of that because hmm. when she said that I had betrayed her, what I, I couldn't really make that up. You know, it was, wow. I mean, I, it would be one thing if, if uh, she had kind of forgiven me, you know, and, but the, she, she wasn't going that way. She wasn't forgiving me. Mm -hmm. And, wow. and um, so, you know, I tried to, I don't know if I get into an argument with someone, I always try and try and say, I'm sorry, the whole thing happened. If both of us were, you know, doing something that were, was making the problem, I, yeah. I don't need you to say, I did this and I am sorry, but I do need you to say, gee, I'm sorry this whole thing happened, you know, because mm -hmm. that softens the edges and then we can get back to, you know, we can get back to being friends. So that wasn't happening. So, um, yeah. so there are those situations that start and then fall apart for whatever reason, you know, that's just one mm -hmm. particular example, you know? Mm-hmm. No, you know, as you're saying that, I was thinking, you know, I, I wonder if it's um, about, um, in my situation, I, I think, okay, are there things that I could have said to maybe draw this person out a little bit? Um, you know, I, I was, I, it's funny, my, my husband got me uh, that whole masterclass. Uh, oh, yeah. Access to the masterclass. And I was watching, I, I got it in particular because I'd, I'd seen that there was one person on there who was giving a masterclass on negotiation. And he did hostage negotiation for the FBI for many years. Huh. And he talks about, um, he gives different scenarios um, about like different kinds of ways you can negotiate, negotiating with your teenager, negotiating <laughs> in a business deal. Um, and the, of course the hardest one, and he has an actress kind of there with him kind of role playing. The hardest one of course was the hostage situation because it was so intense and mm. you know, she didn't know what to say exactly. She was trying to figure it out. It was just, it was really rough. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> but um, he does have like phrases that you can say that, um, always draws a person out and, you know, um, you know, he's just, I think it's all about like communicating as well. And also, um, if there's some sense of like victimhood on the other person's part, yeah. you know, which it sounds like with, with that person that you're working with, um, I don't know. It, it's kind of, um, that's kind of a difficult thing because um, it sounds like it's not about what it's about I mean you're just yeah. making music together so <laughs> yeah 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 I agree yeah. with you I yeah. do agree with you and it's it I mean I you know I also feel very um let's see what's the word I feel very caring I guess about humans and yeah. I mean we are we have a lot of stuff to deal with <laughs> you know yeah. I mean our suitcases of baggage uh, you know that we carry around with us have all kinds of things in them and we're you know we're either able to deal with them or not that whole thing about mm -hmm. taking responsibility and being able to look at something mm -hmm. you know i mean that's crucial and even even with that you're always surprised you know some shit all of a sudden the waters part and some shit floats to the top and you're like whoa is that my shit you know <laughs> and right. um so i think in those situations as well uh 
like you said, you know, you really have to be present mm -hmm. and, and you, you have to realize that everybody's doing the best that they can do. So you have to be right. kind and, yeah. um, and clear. And sometimes the clearest, nicest people don't communicate in the same way. And, right. you know, um, you know, communication, man, that's, I, you know, the older I got, the more I thought, why the hell didn't they have a communication class in elementary school? Absolutely. You know, I mean, yes. that would be solving so many problems, but no, oh, they, gosh. you know. <laughs> I, I was saying this to somebody else the other day. I was just like, you know, things that would have been useful in high school, like communicating, knowing how to get the things that you want, um, building resilience, uh, managing your money. Yeah. You know, all doing of your those. Taxes, like, <laughs> you know, so much stuff. Of course, we need to know how to read and write. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, but all these, there's other things like the math, really, yeah. you know, it could be taxes, honestly, yeah. and finance and, you know, things like that would be totally useful. Totally. But definitely, you know, relationships and, and communicating and, and, uh, and things like that would, would be much more beneficial. Oh, I think. incredible. And you know, uh, yeah. about 10 years ago, I saw a really good show um, led by Tom Brokaw. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, let's see, so there had been a, um, a teaching, uh, he, he did this whole program on this teaching thing. Um, one half of the class was taught, uh, they were different language people and kids, we're talking about kids, and they were given computers and they, they were given the problem and they had to just fix, do the problem. The other mm -hmm. part of the class was English speaking kids and they were taught exactly what to, you know, they were taught exactly what to do. The other class actually succeeded. Mm. And so there was a school that was actually developing out of that thought process. But the other thing was that he said was that our, our educational system was created for to train factory workers. Oh, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, doesn't it? Oh, I know. I mean, I, I don't even, you know, I, I look back at it and I'm just like, this is not set up to like, you know, uh, produce uh, empowered human beings right. who, <laughs> who are like self-directed and can like really think critically and yeah. none of it's like set up for that. So if you want that pretty much at this point, if you didn't come up in like a really progressive school yeah. or something, you'll have to figure that out for yourself, mm -hmm. you know, learn it for yourself and all that. Um, it's, you know, we, we do the best, but like you say, we do the best that we can. Yeah. So. Well, this has been really great. I, I really love this conversation and, and everything, you know, that you have to say. Um, I guess, you know, it's kind of an open-ended question, but like what, what's your advice for singers about our mindset and just kind of how we can transform things to get the kind of career that we'd like to have and kind of build resilience for ourselves? Because I think that's a big part of it. Yeah. Well, that's kind of, I was, I was thinking a little bit of uh, uh, finding who you are, you know, kind mm -hmm. of, uh, I mean, in marketing terms, they called it, they call it branding, but, you know, in philosophical terms, talking about what you were just talking about, how do you build a career? How do you become resilient? And, and, mm -hmm. um, I get a lot of, a lot of times people ask me how, 
after they find who they are, you know? Mm. And um, so I think this is all in the same, in the same box. Um, uh, let's see, the thing you need to understand first is what you love. Mm -hmm. um, and I had, I had an exercise that I used to give to my students um, years ago. Uh, and that would be, I would want you to take, to record every single thing that you could dredge up that you loved to listen to. If it was four bars of something, or if it was a whole entire song, or maybe just this certain eight bars that you heard that you loved, it doesn't have to be a singer, just any, anything that you absolutely love, right? Um, and when I first did that, I was in college, and I, that was when we were using cassettes, I filled two cassettes with that. <clears throat> and then what I did was I listened to it and I wrote down what it was that I loved about each part. Mm. Once I had done that, I really knew what I liked, you know, mm. it was great. And <clears throat> so there, that's just one way to find out, but it's a, it's kind of a good way, you know, because you take stock in, your, your tastes, right? Um, and, you know, this is not the first time anyone's heard this, but if you do what you love, you know, that's most likely going to lead to some kind of success that you're going to be okay with. And if you do what you love, it's easier to focus on it. It's easier to be committed and consistent. Mm -hmm. All these words are really important in life and in music and in whatever you're doing, right? If you're even learning how to be a graphic artist, you have to be committed and consistent in your practice of it and learning, right? So it's all related to everything. Um, so um, for singers, you know, be the best singer you can be. And it doesn't stop uh, when you do a great show. That's not, that's not the stopping point. There is no stopping point. You have to continue to be the best singer that you can be because every day you're going to be a different singer because mm -hmm. life fluctuates. You know, it's, it's all, it's all improvising all the time. It's moving, it's flowing, it's, it's alive. That's what alive is. And the past is only memories. The present is really where it's at, and we're planning for the future. So mm. it's really about right now. This is, this is it. So if you're not having a good time right now, you better change it, you know? And um, if you're working really hard <clears throat> and you're happy about it, that's good because, you know, that work is going to get you something else that you're going to be in the moment with and love like getting a gig, for instance, you know, just working at getting that uh, one guy to hire you, you know, you put in all that time and then you get to the gig and you're there. Then as soon as the gig is over, it's gone. Yeah. <laughs> so then there has to be some more, you know? So right. um, consistency mm -hmm. is really important. I, I love the thought of consistency in a lot of different things, even in voice technique. You know, the, all these things that we're, 
talking about all these these words and ideas that are important in music mm -hmm. and art uh, are actually important everywhere else. I can, like for instance, <clears throat> communication and uh, being in the moment. That is good in voice technique, right? You're a teacher, right? So you mm -hmm. know how <clears throat> when you communicate something, the voice moves in a different way, in, yes. a, in a healthy way. And being in the moment is crucial. You know, yeah. you can't be, you know, what I just did, I, you know, I just messed up in the, over there, you know, five minutes ago, you can't be there. Yeah. Also singing, singing anything, but especially singing jazz, you have to be in the moment and moving forward, which mm -hmm. is also communicating. Communicating is moving forward. And life, of course, you know, who can't use that in life, right? Absolutely. So uh, that's always fascinating to me that, that these truths relate to everything. It's not just one thing. We're lucky that we have music to learn these things with, you know, because it's such a great, it's a great reward, you know? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, I love that, um, exercise you just talked about uh you know figuring out what it is you love because um i think that you know it's almost like uh hygiene for your soul or hygiene for your spirit mm. um just kind of also kind of a way to combat self-sabotage because you are becoming aligned you're becoming aligned. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, with the things you love, you know, you know, you're kind of pulling those things out of yourself and making, you know, bringing it into your consciousness and and all of that. Um, do you find that like maybe a big part of what is holding us back is like self sabotage? All of those things that we tell ourselves in the back of our minds. Oh yes, 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 yes. <laughs> That's why I say half of doing it is music and all the information and everything. Half of mm. it is philosophy. It mm. really is true. Um, and I was going to mention like one of the things I talk about in the SCAF class is that um, something comes out of your mouth, right? Okay. Now you have a choice. Do you, uh, are you not happy with that or are you curious and happy? So, oh God, that's terrible. Or, mm -hmm. which is a stop of flowing or, oh, that's interesting. What if I did, right? That's a forward flow, right? Mm -hmm. And <clears throat> that's exactly actually, have you heard of Kenny Werner and uh, Effortless Mastery? Mm -mm. Okay, so you you have you should read this book, Jamila. You'll love it. It's called okay. Effortless Mastery, and Kenny Werner is a magnificent jazz piano player, and he wrote this book called Effortless Mastery. And the book was especially geared towards piano players, but applies to anyone. So just one idea that's always talked about is. The piano player goes over to the piano and he puts his finger on a key and he, he, he winces, right? He shudders when he, because it's whatever. <clears throat> Instead of going over and putting his hand on the key and going, oh, wow, that's beautiful. What could I do with that? Mm. So curiosity, yes. which is 
a lovely idea. I got this from Elizabeth Gilbert, the writer. Curiosity is creativity. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, and which is really a wonderful idea to grow in yourself because we're all curious. Like any minute of the day, we're curious, right? And yeah. anytime you can notice that you're curious, that's when you're being creative. That's creativity. Mm. Creativity is not something way far away from us, you know, as improvisation isn't. You know, these, these things we do all the time, but we don't give them a name. We don't give them too much, sometimes too much significance, you know, so we, we mm. don't notice them until we're giving them significance and then it might be a little too much. But like when somebody scats in my class and I say, you know, if you're, if you're okay with what comes out, then you're, you don't have to feel like you're not good enough. You're not like her or, you know, you're, you're, you didn't, what are they thinking of me? Or, you know, if you can really just be okay with what comes out and, and, Hmm. That's the best way to create art because <clears throat> when you're curious, when you're in that state of mind, it's really you, you know? Mm. Yes. And when you are really you, nobody else can be really you. And right. so you're, you're going to be truthful and good at what, what you are. You could sing one note and it could be great. And um, so, um, let's see, I had a little bit of, more of a flow of idea, but I can't remember what I was gonna say. But I will say this, um, like there's a great example uh, that I show people sometimes. Um, John Schofield is a great guitar player. And on this one record, he was playing with a bass player um, who's great too, Charlie Hayden. And mm. John took a guitar solo, which was kind of, you know, your typical guitar solo with a lot of notes, right? Great, mm -hmm. but, it, you know, a lot of notes. And then it was Charlie's turn to take a solo. What did he do? He played whole notes, which was, mm -hmm. you know, maybe somebody else would go, oh, God, I got to play, you know, I got to be like John, you know? <laughs> no, he played whole notes because he was being a co-arranger. And he, he wanted what was best for the music. And he was curious what would happen. And he, he felt like, oh, I'm going to play, you know, the, the sensuousness of the whole note, you know. Anyway, mm. it sounded great. Mm. So you, you were only, you're only as good as you are right this second, you know. You're mm. in this second. It's, you, you can't be what you're going to be next week. It's just not even possible to do that. So mm. just do what you do what you do now. And the way to do that is to involve your mind into, into the music itself and to be curious and move through and try stuff. And if you, if you do something that you don't expect, use it and create more with it. Like, whoa, what if I did this? And keep, that's, that's a really challenging thing for us to do really really challenging mm -hmm. and it takes a lot of practice you know mm -hmm. you have to practice that you know mm. i think it's the practice it sounds like the practice of self-acceptance yes i love it 
That's just so brilliant. I love everything you had to say. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Wonderful. It's great. It's such a great opportunity to talk to you, (laughs) you know, and talk about this stuff. I always love talking about this stuff and, and you've created a podcast out of it. It's great. Oh, where can we um, find you online and find out about all your workshops and jams and everything? Yeah. Um, My website is kept up to date. It's uh, www.kathysiegelgarcia.com. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of busy out there on social media. So you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and even LinkedIn I'm part of. And um, mm-hmm. yeah, I keep trying to stay out there and, and uh, keep doing interesting things, you know. Well, brilliant. I'm sure I will see you out there soon. Okay. So. <laughs> Thanks, Thank Camilla. You. Yes. <laughs> You're welcome. Oh my gosh, you guys. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. I certainly did. I learned so much and I'm really inspired by this conversation. So I hope you are too. Here are the singing lessons. Number one, half of doing music is the music and the other half of it is philosophical. Number two, if the musicians feel like you don't care, they'll they're less likely to accept low money number three you have to know the song timing and how to sing number four you have to be a good listener on stage number five traveling and singing is another big area of focus that you have to pay attention to if you're going to do it it needs research communication calling is always the best way to start follow-up is crucial Number six, it's all about relationships. Sales is not about selling the item. Number seven, the thing you need to understand first is what you love. Number eight, if you do what you love, that's most likely going to lead to some kind of success that you're okay with. And if you do what you love, and if you do what you love, it's easier to focus on it, to be committed and consistent in your practice and learning of it. Number nine, be the best singer you can be. And it doesn't stop when you do a great show. That's not the stopping point. There is no stopping point. You have to continue to be the best singer that you can be because every day you're going to be a different singer. Number 10, consistency is really important. Number 11, being in the moment is crucial. Number 12, curiosity is creativity. When you are curious, When you are in that state of mind, it's really you and nobody else can be really you. There are a lot more lessons, (laughs) but um, I could only do so many, but this whole thing was just like so valuable and really so much of it rang true for me. And I hope that it did for you too. You know, every interview is just um, an opportunity to become even more inspired to create more of these podcasts and also to keep singing. And, you know, I think that, you know, with that intimidation quote that I'd read earlier and thinking about all of that, that was really a reason why I I didn't teach for the longest time. I think because I was, you know, intimidated. I already knew so many great vocal coaches and, you know, I just thought there wasn't any more room for vocal coaches, basically, and everybody knew so much more than me. And, um, and it's true, you know, even, even as I've started teaching, there are 
there are plenty of people who know more than me, but I'm not going to allow that to kill my enthusiasm to do it. I've got my own way of doing things and, you know, um, that's as valuable as, as anyone else's. I've got my own perception of things. I've got my own experience as a singer. You know, I'm seeing some really great success with the students that I'm working with and, you know, it makes them inspired to keep going. Um, you know, and I'll just continue to keep learning. You know, that's the thing I think I've said on the show before is that all of the teachers that I know that I've interviewed on this show um, and the ones that I haven't interviewed that I've just kind of talked to about teaching voice or teaching anything in general, learned it somewhere. And they keep reading information and they read journals. Uh, they read everything that they can read. They go to workshops. They, you know, they take in information and knowledge. It doesn't just, they don't just have it, <laughs> you know, which I think was the thing, um, and my vocal coach, who I'd had in college, always encouraged me to teach. Um, you know, he uh, just really believed in me to um, and encouraged me to do it. And I'd learned so much from him. And, you know, I just thought, you know, I'd interviewed him. And I, I think I released that um, interview. His name is William Hanrahan. I, I think I, I released that interview back in December. But, you know, just through talking to him, I realized that he had to learn as well. You know, I think I just assumed that every teacher I ever had was like born with all the knowledge that they had. And it was unattainable by me, <laughs> you know, but I've found that to be untrue. So it's just one less thing for me to be uh, intimidated by, you know, and something for me to be curious about. You know, I loved what Kathy had to say about being curious, allowing ourselves to be curious. And, you know, if a, if a sound comes out of your mouth that sounds a little different and unusual um, than what you're, you normally do, saying, oh, that's interesting. That's I'm curious about that. Like, what else could I do with that? Where is that coming from? How can I expand that? You know, what else can that just become? Instead of saying it sounds like crap and I don't want to do it again. <laughs> you know, we just have to be open, I think, is is the thing. And, and, you know, as I'm getting that lesson, I hope if it's a lesson you need to get that you're getting it. And, um, you know, I would just encourage you to keep learning and be curious, remain curious and allow, just allow everything, you know, it's all available to you. And, and none of us is so um, special that um, only we should have it and nobody else, you know, it's, um, we can know anything that we want to know, you know, especially in this day and age, and we can learn anything that we want to learn. And we can try all the things that we want to try really and truly, you know, the only thing limiting us is ourselves. So just a couple of things to share. Oh, we've got a listener shout out. So let's share that. I love when you guys write in. Um, it lets me know I'm not talking to myself. <laughs> so G, uh, Gianna um, on Instagram DM me. She says, hi, Jamila. I love what you're putting out in the performing community. It is so authentic and versatile. I love seeing the many guests that you feature and what I can learn from each one through your podcast. Thank you, Jana. I really appreciate that. And thank you for listening. And that's kind of the, the goal is to uh, be inspired, you know, remain inspired and, and um, 
create a little more hope. So thank you for writing. And I don't want to forget to mention all of the notes, uh, the singer singing lessons, any kind of links and anything like that are available at theworkingsingerpodcast.com. Uh, just go into episodes and click on the latest episode and you can find all of the information about Kathy Siegel Garcia or any of our other guests. So what else do we have? We've got a Facebook group. You guys can go on there and um, go on to Facebook, type in the Working Singer Podcast community, answer the questions, ask to join, and I will let you in. And, you know, I try to post articles and things that I think will be valuable to you, as do the other listeners. You know, you can stay informed on local jams and... Anything that is useful to the singer community, I would love for you to post. So um, what else have we? Uh, Find me on Instagram. Find me on Facebook. Find me on Twitter. I don't tweet that much. I'm mostly on on Instagram and and Facebook under at Jamila Ford Music or at The Working Singer Podcast. And what else? I just love you so much. I want to keep talking to you. (laughs) You ever know those times you're like enjoying yourself so much you just don't want to stop talking and you're looking for things to keep saying. Um, But no, I I really do appreciate you guys listening and tuning in every week. And I love the fact that you are getting value from this. That's really just what I want to do is put value into the world. So yes, as always... I love you, I appreciate you, and I will talk to you again next week. Oh, and subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe. Talk to you soon. Bye. My road is not Stephanie's road. It's my road personally. So if I'm not getting something that I want, I am not doing the work that I have to do. If you're a professional singer, want to know how to turn singing into a career, or simply love to hear stories from singers on the road, then The Working Singer is the podcast for you. I chat with pro singers about how they make a creative living in the music business, lending their talent to stars like Enrique Iglesias, The Killers, Elvis Costello, and more. They share life lessons, business advice, and how they make a living when they're off the road. We'll also discuss vocal health, technique, performance, coaching, and pretty much all things vocal. Elevate your approach to your singing career, get enlightened about what the pros do, and be inspired with new ideas that you can make your own. My name is Jamila Ford, and this is the Working Singer Podcast. Guys, I am so excited that you're here. Welcome, and thank you for joining me again for one more week. Doesn't it feel like this year has been very long? (laughs) We're only like a month and a half in. Almost two months in. Wow. Um... It's been good, though. Just been very busy. And a lot has happened in the world. Some really great things and some very sad things and 
some really uplifting things and some pretty demoralizing things. But, you know, uh, we've still got to be ourselves. and We still have to live and life goes on and we've got to create. And, you know, I was listening to this podcast the other day. Um, it's called The Intelligent Vocalist, and it is hosted by John Henney, a vocal coach uh, here in the L.A. area. Actually, he's based in Glendora. Um, he has a couple of great books out. I would love to talk to him on the show, so hopefully I can get him on sometime soon. But um, I'm reading his uh, book on vocal technique right now. I'm blanking on what it's called. Oh, you know what? I have it right here. I'm halfway through it. Teaching Contemporary Singing. Anyway, all that to say, great book if you guys, uh, you know, kind of want to think about uh, contemporary production, vocal production. That's a great book to read. Anyway, I'm going off on a tangent. I was listening to his podcast um, the other day. It's a recent one that he put out, and it was talking about intimidation and somehow and sometimes we as creatives we have as singers can allow ourselves to be intimidated because you know it's such a vulnerable job you know you do put yourself out there a lot there is a lot of rejection which I think requires a ton of self-acceptance and of course self-care and all of that but he read this um quote on his show and it says the results a person obtains are inversely proportionate to the degree to which he is intimidated let me read that again the results a person obtains are inversely proportionate to the degree to which he is intimidated and that's a robert ringer uh quote i don't i'm not sure who that is i didn't look them up yet um but i thought you know that rings that rings so true for me. How many times have I not followed through with something or I've kind of, you know, shrunk and because I've been intimidated? Um, how many times have I not spoken up? How many times have I just, you know, really quieted myself, not allowed myself to be as creative and as expressive as I could possibly be because in whatever moment I was feeling scared and it's okay to experience fear, but I think, and you're going to, um, I think that's just a function of being a human being. And I think it's an important feeling because, you know, sometimes you need to check in with that to get yourself out of a dangerous situation. I mean, that really got me thinking, you know, just about everything that I just said, all those moments, all those ways in which I've held myself back because I was scared of what somebody else would think or say, um, what I'd hear, maybe I'd be embarrassed or humiliated in some way, maybe I didn't feel like I was enough at that moment. Um, that was really, I don't know, that was a really important quote for me to hear. Maybe it's something that you need to hear. Maybe it's, um, you know, something that needs to be brought to light for you. And there might be ways in which you're allowing yourself to be intimidated and you don't even realize it. You know, for me, I was thinking when I heard that quote and I thought about it, I thought, oh, you know, there's all these kind of forces outside of myself that I've just over the years I've given a lot of power to. 
And, you know, these days I am definitely uh, becoming more mindful about those things. Definitely, um, you know, allowing, allowing more, allowing myself to be happy and experience joy and have fun and not, uh, you know, think that fun is a something that gets in the that might be in the way of other things that I really need to be doing (laughs) all of it. So I don't know, maybe that's an important quote that you need to hear. And maybe not. I know people who just seem to forge ahead and, you know, um, do what they need to do, you know, do what they want to do. They're they want to be creative, they want to learn this new thing. They want to uh, put out this new product. They want to create this new business, whatever it is. And they just go ahead and do it. You know, I always have, I've got deep admiration for those people in my life. And um, I'm definitely, you know, trying to model myself after those people a bit more. Because, I mean, if life has taught me anything lately, it's that it's far too short. It's way too short to second guess myself constantly. So anyway, you know, all that to say, um, I hope that's useful for you. And if you're lucky enough to be one of those people who doesn't overthink things, and I'm sorry to have wasted your time with that. (laughs) But, you know, seriously, um, I don't know. Some of us experience that, or many of us experience that to some degree, I think. It's definitely important to be mindful, you know, to be um, thinking, journaling, talking, present, you know, just kind of making space for that kind of exploration, which leads me to um, our show this week, our guest, Kathy Siegel Garcia. So excited for you guys to hear this conversation. Um, She's a prolific, prolific, prolific recording artist here in Los Angeles, um, an exceptionally creative singer and a linchpin on the, on the Los Angeles jazz scene. She is also a producer, a vocal coach, and she holds regular events around L.A. that feature some of the hottest jazz singers and musicians. Uh, she attended Berklee College of Music back in the day um, for flute arranging and composition. And this is a great conversation. We get into some really fantastically heavy stuff. You know, things that we really need to be thinking about as singers and creatives. Kathy gets into how our inner critic can kill the flow of creativity, um, how we need to allow ourselves to be curious while making art, how allowing ourselves to be curious while making art is truly a practice of self-acceptance, comparing ourselves to other singers, and now we just need to stop doing that, (laughs) taking responsibility for our own work, um, and then how she produces her concerts. She puts on a lot of events around town. Um, she's got a scat workshop and various other kinds of workshops, um, that some of you might be interested in. So we talk about those, we talk about scatting and improvisation and, um, you know, her perspective on receiving feedback from other people, because that's something that, um, you know, a lot of times part of this is taking in information, um, take, get, you know, receiving input from others. And, um, she talks about how she's handled that herself. So. A lot of really great information, a lot of really fabulous insights, and I think a lot of stuff that's going to be really inspiring for you guys. So without further ado, the incredible Kathy Seagal Garcia. So let's start right at the beginning. Where are you from? Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Boston, um, and I was there until I was about 21. 
um, I grew up in uh, Newton, which is a, a suburb not that far out of Boston. Now, now I realize that living in LA. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad was a sax player. Mm. My mom was a singer and I had two twin, twin sisters who were four years older than me who both sang and one played piano. So mm. I grew up in that kind of doing, doing a lot of singing and music, you know. Oh, that's great. Um, truly musical family. Yeah. Did you guys perform together a oh, lot yeah. or? Yep, we did. We started uh, very young performing with my dad. He, he was a leader, you know, leader of bands. So um, we started in that way and we were in various, all kinds of various vocal group situations from schools and um, we used to go out and play for old age homes when we were younger and we were always, my dad was always hired to play at family functions, you know, so we always sang and <laughs> so, and then I, I also learned a few instruments when I was young and um, then I went to Berkeley for um, flute and arranging and composition and um, pretty young, but I went there from 72 to 75. Then after that, I, I moved to LA. Well, actually, I moved to San Francisco. Mm. I was reading in your bio that um, at the time, Berkeley didn't have a, uh, a vocal program. What was that like? Uh, yeah, well, um, it was much smaller school, of course, than mm -hmm. it is now. And um, so I was there for flute and arranging and comp because they actually did not have the vocal program until yeah. the year I left, actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was just, I was a musician, you know? I mean, I, of course I sang too. I was always singing and I had a band and all that, but, <clears throat> but it was, uh, it was really a great time. I really loved being in that situation and learning music and writing charts. And at that time, of course, it was by hand. And, um, you know, just the camaraderie of the musicians, which I had already grown up with around my dad, but this was my own, closer to my own age group. And um, yeah, it was a really great time of, for music too, especially in Boston. That time period, the 70s in that period was, um, there was a lot going on. There was, Motown was really happening. ECM had just actually, come out. Are you familiar with the ECM label? No. Well, ECM was kind of almost a mix of classical and jazz. Okay. Uh, you've probably heard of Weather Report. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Weather Report and um, uh, <clears throat> Pat Metheny, they, they were actually the first people. Oh, and Oregon, the, the group Oregon, which was a really beautiful group. They were the first people on UCM, and then mm -hmm. it branched out, Keith Jarrett, and you know, so it was that kind of, I call it, now I call it modern jazz, because I really, it's not straight ahead, and you know, so that genre of moder modern, not smooth, but modern, which kind of almost had a touch of classical in it, or mm. lots of space and beautiful sounds, you know, very, sensuous beautiful sounds mm. um so yeah and then 
just there was this mix over Woodstock was ha had just happened and it was a really interesting mix of things going on also blues was very popular at that time and mm -hmm. the old R&B was really strong at that time too so Boston was really a fun place to have be involved in the music so then what happened after you left Berkeley well um I decided that I wanted to get away from Boston. Actually, sorry, mom, but I, I had to go away from my mother. <laughs> she, she was very, uh, she, because of situation, you know, family situations and stuff, she was very um, clingy and manipulative. And mm. I was a free spirit, you know, a rebel and a free spirit. My sisters were more mom's girls, you know. So, um, I decided to move across the country <laughs> and I had a boyfriend at the time and he was actually originally from Palmdale but he didn't want to really come to LA so we went to San Francisco first and we didn't stay too long about four months um, mm. and then we decided that it was too much like Boston and so we came down to LA and that's, and then I, I, could, I was in LA for a while, and then I was thinking of moving to New York, which really probably I would have ended up with a very interesting, different life. But um, I met my first husband in 79, so I just stayed. And what was uh, life like at that point? Were you singing full time? Did you also um, have a, a day job? How, did, how was that working? Yeah, well... <laughs> I had day jobs for a long time. Mm -hmm. um, I was always singing, but I had day jobs as well. And I had night jobs, like I was a waitress at Dante's, which was a, uh, a famous jazz club here. Um, mm. And really, um, I, when I first moved to LA, my boyfriend and I had gigs. He, he was a guitar player. And then I did some waitress jobs. I, I was at Dante's and I wasn't singing that much. There was must have been an interim where I wasn't singing. And um, I saw a singer sing at Dante's who was my age. And I thought, wow, I can sing better than her. I'm, I should get back. I should, you know, go out again and sing. Mm -hmm. And then I happened to meet a legendary guitar player who I had heard about. <laughs> in Berkeley his name was Ted Ted Green and uh, he was legendary because he had written a very intense guitar book called um, chord chemistry and mm -hmm. all these people famous and non-famous took lessons from him he had a waiting list months long um, he charged $14 for a lesson he was a really kind person and he mm -hmm. played, he played at the same time, he played bass, chords, and melody all at the same time. Um, and so he was, he was very admired and respected. And he didn't work out a lot because he, he had this thing about not being good enough for people's expectations, which was not true. But mm -hmm. um, so I met him at Dante's and uh, we, I asked him if he wanted to get together and play, and he said, yeah. So 
we started playing together and then or, or rehearsing together and then I said hey let's get a gig and he said okay so I created this gig it was really my first big jazz gig in LA which was just in a small room but I put up about three signs and I didn't really know too many people at that time and uh, hmm. when I got to the gig there was there was no standing room <laughs> so that was my hmm. first my first gig you know, my first wow. big gig and I was like, oh my God, but we were, we had a really tight thing and um, mm. yeah, it was, it was fun. So we worked together for a while, but, um, and then he, he stopped really working out too much, you know, until years later, actually, we, years later, probably about 22 years ago or so, we did a gig um, and he passed away about eight or nine years ago, but after he passed away, I took some video and some old recordings that I had of us, just live recordings, and I made kind of a documentary DVD and CD called Never Forgotten. And um, that's, uh, that's been a really cool thing to have, you know, so, because he's really, it's really special to watch and listen to. So that was one of my, my, my projects. Hmm. Um, expand on this a little bit. Um, you said on your website, I was reading your um, bio, it said, and I think a lot of singers have had this experience, so I would love to hear you expand on it. Um, it says, I saw other singer friends receiving opportunities that logically I should have had. I suddenly learned everyone has their own individual path with their own karma. Yeah, I loved, I loved that life lesson. I really did. Mm. Uh, because it took away a lot of things like jealousy and, you know, all those things. It just kind of wiped the slate clean. Um, yeah. So I think one of the first um, times I thought about that was I had a friend named Stephanie Haynes who was truly one of the, my favorite singers ever. Uh, she also passed away a number of years ago, but um, she was just an amazing singer, she, good musician, and the tone of her voice and her phrasing was natural. She was just really great. Mm. Um, and she and I were, were, in our 20s, we were really doing very similar things as far as live performances. And she uh, she did about... 1% of promotional actions that, than I did. About 1% of, the, you know, comparatively, right? I did 100%, she did 1%. <laughs> and she was always getting gigs. She got offers of record contracts and, you know, she, and she was a great singer. I mean, totally, honestly. But I just, I couldn't at first understand it. I was doing so much work towards it. And then it just finally struck me. It was like, oh, it has nothing to do with anything except your own. It's your own road. That's it. It's not, I, my road is not Stephanie's road. It's my road personally. So if I'm not getting something that I want, I am not doing the work that I have to do. Not Stephanie, me. Mm. And um, so, and I liked that too, because I don't know even when I realized this, but 
um, I just realized in life in general, um, if you can confront something and take full responsibility for it, then mm. any problem can be solved. Mm. So that was a really great way of me taking responsibility for my own, you know, successes and my own failures, you know. Mm. I love that. Yeah, I, I do too. I just, I can't stand wimps, you know. I mean, <laughs> I, I like people. I like everybody and I forgive people their faults and I don't try not to judge. But still, yeah. wimps really annoy me, you know. Mm. Just I want people to just take responsibility, you know. Yeah. For their stuff. Mm. And you know, I mean, sort of in this day and age, now we've got it's even more in our face, yeah. uh, possibly how much better everybody else is doing than we are. <laughs> even though that's probably not the case yeah. exactly. But um Because it's you know, all over the internet too. I mean, we're always confronted with it. Yeah. What's your advice for, you know, uh, that singer who says, I saw this person on, on Facebook and they, you know, it's like they always have the job I want. They've, they're always doing what I want to do. Okay, well, that's, you know, and, and Jamila, this is really, to me, it's like um, just taking music. You know, half of doing music is all the work, the music work, and half of it is philosophical. Because if mm. your head's not in the right space, you're just not going to do it. It's not going to happen, right? Mm. So I, I love this stuff. Um, there's a few different things that I personally do. And one is a little woo-woo. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and I'll try and be really short and succinct with this. But um, I don't really remember when it happened. And it might have just always been happening um, progressively in my life from when I was a kid. But mm -hmm. I... At one point, I was really, really into this idea that I was creating not only my own reality, but to the depth of what that means. Like uh, mm. this whole conversation, for instance, is all my creation. You don't even exist except in my mind. You know, that's that's how deep I was for a minute, you know. Mm. And um, I've even, there's a book by a man whose name I can't quite remember, but I read that he, he uh, lived his life like that and invited others to live like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. at some point, I, I had had some deep experiences with that, which I won't go into, but at some point, uh, as I grew more, I, I decided, no, everybody has their own universe, but like right now, you are definitely part of my creation and my universe, but I also am part of yours. So I kind of gave up the idea that it was all mine, you know, <laughs> which is kind of mm. like a science fiction movie, right? Mm. <laughs> and, but that is one, um, one way, like if I see a friend of mine getting gigs that I would really like to get and somehow I have not been able to, I, since she's in part of my universe, that I've, I've created her as part of my universe, in my universe, and sh that part of my universe is winning in that area. 
So mm. I'm actually winning. It's not a loss for me. Mm. Now that's kind of deep. I don't, I don't know how many people really could, can go there or do go there, but mm. that has, that particular point has worked for me really well. Mm. Um, when I feel, you know, anxious over something that somebody else is doing or getting, I just remind myself, Hey, I'm, I should take a win. They're part of my universe. It's fine. Mm. So that's one thing. And the other thing is what we were just talking about responsibility for, you know, uh, the work, which right. to me lately, it's a really, it's kind of a button for me because I know a lot of semi-professional singers who um, they do good. Oh, let's see. I don't know. I don't want to say bad. They, they work hard in certain directions and then they don't work hard in other directions. Uh, mm. For instance, uh, a lot of what's going on nowadays in the kind of the, semi-jazz, I'd say the mix of jazz cabaret world in LA, is mm -hmm. that the semi-professionals or the non-professionals will hire an arranger for big money and mm -hmm. put together a show and really mm -hmm. work hard and you know really practice their show and then they'll have a gig and all their friends will come. So it's successful in many different ways and they do really well and, and that's really a great thing. The thing that they that a lot of them do not do is commit to continue to work on voice technique and their music mm -hmm. theory and getting their charts together and uh, practicing with people or getting gigs or rehearsing with people. You know the things that really make us better. When I grew up, I was I not that I was forced to do it all, but that was what was happening. I was doing all that because that was what we did. You know, that was life. Um, right. You know, when I first moved here, we were working like nine gigs a week and sharing gigs. And, you know, it was a real different scene because there were so many people paying for musicians then, you know. Right. So, but, and so now, now it's different because you can't just easily, although I think you can if you focus, but it's just not the same situation as places looking for musicians and hiring lots of singers and, you know, that kind of thing, you know? Yeah. So you say you can if you focus. What does that look like? Yeah. Well, let's say, um, okay, so right, right now, I'll just use myself, for instance. Right mm -hmm. now, the gigs that I go after, the live gigs, are kind of much less than, for instance, those days I was talking about when I was working all the time. So now mm -hmm. I do, I might do three to three to six gigs a month. Um, oh. You know, and um, but the part of the reason, or at least part of the reason why I'm not doing that, is because. I'm not focusing on getting the gigs. Mm. Um, I focus on those three, three to six gigs a month, but mm. I'm not focusing on what I know I have to do to get a gig, which is research the place, call the place, talk to the people, 
send them material or uh, call them back when they want or send them send them the material and call back <laughs> until I get the gig, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and that is what I call focus. Yeah, that's the, the big thing, you know, I hear people um, say pretty much in any uh, line of work that a lot of people who are going for things, the biggest issue is that they don't follow up, you know, um, mm -hmm. or one of the biggest issues is not following up. Yeah. So what would three to six gigs a month in LA look like? Because I know a lot of places, you know, it has changed. And as you say, there are a lot of people who, I mean, back then they were paying, you know, musicians for w one thing. Um, and now you can kind of, I suppose, get them to do that, but a lot of it's pay to play. I mean, what are the barriers and how can we really overcome? Well, I mean, they're just paying our musicians. How do we make sure that happens? Yeah. You know? Well, that's, a, that's several different subjects actually, but okay. Yeah. One, one thing that I'm, that I'm really good at is creating a gig. You know, so uh, like sometimes I'll find a venue and I'll create a long running situation. Like I, about two years ago, uh, I had a two and a half year run that stopped um, that I was curating downtown behind the Disney hall inside a vegan restaurant. Uh, there was this back room that was incredible. It was like a New York club called, called Bar Fedora. And, um, I ran that for two and a half years and I, it was really great. I was so sorry to see that go, but that's, so how did I get that? Somebody referred me actually to them. They were looking for somebody to create some jazz in there. Mm -hmm. And I went there and I felt it and I felt the management and I thought, you know what? I could do something with this. This is nice. The management is really nice. They're giving me a really good deal. Um, there's parking, you know, there's a stage with lights and sound, you know, good, mm -hmm. nice seating, good food. So I, I took it on. Um, and, you know, it was definitely work. I mean, it was my big part of my life, you know, for two and a half years. That's one example. Another example is a friend of mine has a really great house venue. He's an old friend of mine. We used to do uh, weddings and gigs when we were in mm -hmm. our 20s. And he happened to buy an industrial company, a small industrial company that made a lot of money. And he built this really beautiful room onto this house that he had. And mm -hmm. um, so it's a really amazing venue, actually. And he's allowed me to produce uh, concerts there several a month. So... Uh, what I'm good at, again, is creating these things. So I just, either people come to me or I get an idea and I create a concert. And that means that I have to put out the PR or my PR anyway, I expect, I hope they do too. But I have to put out the PR, I have to make the brown paper tickets, I have to bring some food, I have to take, you know, kind of be the person who's watching out for everything, you know keep my PR mm -hmm. up. That's one. Um, another is, you know, like uh, in April, I'm working at a place called Sun Space, which a friend of mine curates. It's in Shadow Hills. Mm -hmm. And 
Um, so I'm working over there and I've, I've worked there a bunch of times. Um, I just started a jam session again, which is uh, funny because, uh, oh gosh, let's see, when did it start? Probably about 20, 23 years ago, I started mm -hmm. the jam session at the Sportsman's Lodge. So the Sportsman's Lodge had the jam for seven years and then we moved it around. We went to the smokehouse and then we moved to other places. Um, so it lasted about 16 years. That was every Wednesday for 16 years. Um, and the, the seven year part was my favorite part of it. It was so amazing. The people, just the timing was great. Sometimes there was between 60 to 200 people who would show up. Wow. Amazing. And all kinds of people, good, bad. Um, we, it was a very inviting jam. You know, you didn't have to, you could come up and play like in the middle of the song, you know, I mean, it was polite and nice and fun. People met long lasting friends. They got better, you know, all the things mm -hmm. that jams do. So my two girlfriends and I, Linda Smith and uh, Takako Uemura, have started another jam at the uh, Industry Cafe on the, it's usually the third Thursday of the month, although in March it'll be the fourth. So that's another gig, right? That's not mm -hmm. my personal gig though. Like my personal gig, I have the next one I have is uh, March 7th at my friend's home venue. Um, so, and then I'm going, I'm going to do a little tiny gig in Bakersfield that week because I'm also giving them, there's something called the jazz workshop in Bakersfield and I'm giving mm -hmm. them a workshop and a performance there. So these are the kind of gigs, you know, that I'm getting right now. And, um, sometimes they come a little further out like i just got a gig in may mm -hmm. at the blue whale around my birthday and i have a gig also in april at barbara morrison's performance arts center you know for the international mm -hmm. uh, jazz month yeah so yeah so that kind of gives you a taste but i have these places in the back of my mind and i have a list of places that i want to focus on to get gigs. Oh, I also work once a month at the LA Athletics Club downtown. Um, okay. Yeah. So, but these are the kind, you know, like that doesn't really, it's not that much, three to six gigs a month. Um, mm. But I love to gig. And last year I had a much different focus. So I really didn't go after gigs last year, although I did do mm. gigs, but I really didn't. Now my focus is a little, a uh, little, slightly more open, I guess you could say. And so I, I want to actually get some more gigs because I love, I love to sing. And are may, most of these gigs basically? Because um, I, uh, this is a conversation I've had with some singers. You know, they are um, like the big concern is like paying their musicians, oh, yeah. paying them enough. Are these things where you have to sell tickets in order to pay the musicians? Can you give them a guarantee? <clears throat> How's it working for you lately? Yeah, well, it, that depends. 
um, like, um, <clears throat> and we're just talking about local, local stuff, right? Yeah. Angeles. Um, so like when I work at, um, the LA athletics club, I don't, I don't hire the band. I just show up. And so I get paid. Um, and the band all gets paid too. Um, when I do, um, Sunspace, it's a door gig. Um, and the band is okay with that because it's a very artistic gig. Mm -hmm. You know, usually the more artistic the gig, the more likely the bands, the band will accept the, the door. Um, mm -hmm. If I, if I, um, let's see, I'm trying to think of my other gigs. Um, sometimes these days, sometimes I do promise the, the band a, even like a smaller amount. So just to, just so they know they are getting they are going to get that, you know, mm -hmm. they might, the thing about LA or it's not so much anymore. It used to be like this a lot, um, is that you might hire a player and then as it's approaching, that player gets a gig that pays three times the amount and they, they want to, they want to cancel. So mm. that used to be really difficult. Um, but I think nowadays, See, the thing is, you have to have, you have to be out there working and um, knowing, knowing musicians and working with musicians for musicians to be okay with you not paying them a lot. And, mm. and this is why, like, the students that I have worry about it, because they haven't, they haven't been out there. And, you know, rubbing elbows and working with people. Um, mm, so that's, that's part of it. And also the other part of it is the less, uh, like, you know, how some of those singers that I was talking about before, um, the, the semi-pros who, who aren't really better, working on bettering themselves. If the musicians feel like you don't care, they're less likely to accept low money as well. Mm. So yeah. if, if you're a singer who really cares and really is respectful of the musicians and really when, when you get up to sing, even on a jam, it's obvious to the musicians that you're really trying to be there with the musicians, with the musicians, right? That's the key not just for yourself, right. um, then the musicians are going to start to like you and, and they'll, they'll help you. Um, otherwise, they will want money. Most, this is usually what happens. What does it look like, for somebody who doesn't know, what do you mean when you say be there with the musicians and what does it look like to care? Some people don't. Yeah, that. that's a great question. Okay, well, Okay, I'll give you just kind of an example on the uh, outside of that question. So when mm -hmm. I was uh, doing the jam, um, if a singer got up who didn't actually listen to the musicians while they were singing, like it was kind of basically about them and not about the musicians, the musicians actually sounded worse. Mm. If a singer got up, 
who wasn't even that good, but was really listening to the musicians, the musicians sounded better. Hmm. I thought that was a really interesting thing. And when I teach, I talk about these three universes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the first universe that you have to be responsible for and involved in is the universe of yourself. It ha- you have to know the song, you have to know the timing, you know, you have to know all the stuff that you have to know, know how to sing, you know. The second universe in- includes that universe, but it-, it expands out to include the musicians. So now this universe, that's what I'm talking about when the singer gets up and is listening to the musicians. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the two universe example, right? And then yeah. the third universe is the audience. Now, a lot of times singers and all kinds of performers, right? They only cater to the audience and they've lost a really uh, quality experience because the first universe and the second universe, if, if they're really intact, you know, working, then there's gonna be this quality of art and quality of expression and that you can share with the third universe and they're gonna like mm. it more. Mm. So that's kind, of, that's kind of it, you know, like when you see a singer get up and sometimes you can't even put your finger on it, right, as a listener, but there's something just not satisfying about it. Um, you know, maybe you're kind of edgy about the singer because they, they kind of are, you know, their ego looks a little strong, you know, something like that. They're not, yeah. they're not in those, those universes, the, those universes well. They're not listening to the band, you know. Mm. Um, so, and that's, I think that's one of the challenges of performing, you know, one of the challenges for everybody, no matter how famous you are, you know. Certainly. You know, um, when, when a singer starts, starts singing, they should be entering this aesthetic universe with the musicians and never leave until the last note of the music has stopped. And um, as long as they're in there, they can also make, you know, so-called mistakes and everything can be okay because it's all part of this aesthetic art that's being Mm -hmm. formed, you know, being created. I love it. So speaking of your, your teaching, you've, I noticed that you have um, several different workshops that you um, give. I saw there's a trio workshop, um, there's a scat workshop, performance um, workshop, and then you've got um, a visiting vocalist one that you put on. But let me ask you really quickly about um, your scat workshop. What is that like and, and how do we learn to scat? Yeah, I always say that it's a user-friendly scat workshop. <clears throat> I've had, you know, I've had, I've been doing workshops, hosting and giving them for 20 years. And in the first 10 years, I had at least four, four workshops a month and sometimes more. Um, and so I've seen a lot of, of uh, clinicians come through and teach. So um, impro- improvising, which is scat, right? Um, can be very daunting, you know, very overwhelming, just the thought of, oh my God, you know, there's so many different things that can come into that. And uh, 
the interesting thing about, well, first of all, improvisation is a natural thing that we all do. We wake up in the morning and all of a sudden we're sick. We improvise, you know, oh, well, it wasn't, this wasn't the day I planned, right? Or mm -hmm. whatever, you know, it, it, we're always improvising. Um, so, but to translate that into singing, you know, our ego gets involved and, um, states of mind are really important. So um, I first show people that how easy it is to do. I'll introduce them to a chord sound and I'll just say sing a note or two in this chord and they do. And then I play another chord and, and they do that and I play another chord and they do that and I say welcome to scatting 101. You just, mm. you just scatted. <clears throat> now of course, there's, you know, there's more to it. And there's, there's some, I don't know if rules are the right word, but there's tools that are especially good mm -hmm. that I give. Um, and for instance, one tool is learning a chromatic scale. And anybody can do this, your listeners can do this, Put your hands on the piano wherever. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even matter what chord you're playing. It doesn't matter if you read music. Put your hands on the piano, make a chord you like, and then with your other hand, play each note chromatically, which means every single note next to each other, the white note, the black note, the white note, you know, right next to each other. You go, mm -hmm. go very slow, go hit the note, and hold that note against the cord and you'll feel different tensions you'll feel no tension you'll feel mm. some tension you'll feel a lot of tension and the the more comfortable you are with each of those tensions the the uh that is a, a great toolbox that you have to for singing and improvising and changing your melody and scatting so, um, so things like that, um, I have people, we always end up scatting over full songs. We trade, uh, what's called trading fours, which is mm -hmm. four bars. I'll sing four bars. You'll sing, you know, going back and forth. We have a lot of fun. And then we talk about different perspectives. We talk about their perspectives because everybody has, you know, their own consideration about scatting, you know? Maybe they tried, maybe they didn't try, maybe they don't understand at all what it is, maybe they do understand, but they're just not comfortable scatting, you know, there's a lot of different things. That kind of leads me to the question of like, you know, feedback and um, receiving it, giving it, you know, I, I, there was a jam I'd gone to a couple of years ago where a woman said to me that you know, she had just kind of gotten into jazz and she was just learning, you know, she's learning how to sing and, you know, learning how to scat and had gone to that particular jam and somebody came to her up to her afterwards and just told her that her scatting wasn't good and she should stop. And, and I thought, I, I mean, I thought that wasn't cool. And I thought, you know, I mean, how else do you work things out, but to work them out, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Well, um, um, you know, there's some people who look at even jam sessions, like yeah. um, not a time to 
do the work, you know, that you should do the work at home. And even if you come out and you don't really, it's kind of what I was talking about before. If you're mm -hmm. not really in that universe, you know, with the musicians and really understanding, understanding what to do, um, then um, some people don't feel that you should, you should do it at the jam session just because it's a jam. Right. That being said, if you've been working on it and you come out and you try it, I, I think that's okay. It's really in your attitude and your, and your focus, you know? Right. Um, and then feedback. Yeah, that's kind, that's kind of a broad question, isn't it? Because it depends on who's giving the feedback. Right. You know, are they kind? Are they educated? Are, you know, mm. I remember one time I was, I was singing in a club and somebody came up to me and, and who I didn't know. And they said, can I tell you something about your singing? And I said, no. <laughs> and they said, what? And I said, no, I don't know you. I, no. <laughs> and because at that time I was really, I was really aware that, you know, you don't want to take, you don't want to hear things from people who don't know, you know, mm. um, you want to, it'd be one thing if somebody that you respected told you that. Right. And even sometimes that has backfired on my poor little ego, you know, mm. I remember one guy who I respected, you know, I was, you know, a lot uh, years kind of had gone by and I'd been singing for a long time. And he said, wow, you really sounded good. You know, I didn't think you were that good, you know, w when you were younger. <laughs> so I was like, oh, shit. See, I still remember that comment, right? <laughs> and um, so, um, yeah, there's all, there's, uh, I remember um, there was a classical singer who said that she, she uh, didn't listen, she didn't read good reviews and she didn't read bad reviews mm. because she didn't, she just didn't want to be swayed by what other people yeah. thought of her. Yeah. <clears throat> um, I don't know if I'm quite that, you know, uh, you know, I, I don't think I can do that really exactly because of the world we live in. But um, I think uh, I re also remember, I tend not to let people at my workshops give comments on other people although mm. i've seen that a lot in the clinicians who have come and done clinics they mm. they're okay with it um but like one time this girl said to another girl wow you sound like uh brunhilde and the other girl was crushed she never came back she, she spoke to me about it and um so yeah it's like you're not you're not trained you know you're not a teacher you don't these people are paying to trust have a trust uh trust mm -hmm. a teacher you know somebody trusted who who is going to lead them in a good direction so mm -hmm. i think um 